Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm Juliette Lamar, your host, and today we have with us Mitch Siegel. He is the strategy lead for financial services at KPMG LLP. Welcome, Mitch. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Juliet? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. So give us a little bit of background about KPMG. What is what is it? What are you guys doing? Sure. Absolutely. Well, a, a lot of what we're involved with right now is um, really in 2018, we saw a big pivot with a lot of our clients trying to move towards um, creating better experiences for their clients and trying to grow their own businesses by creating those experiences. And so that that sounds pretty simple, but as you start to kind of unpack that, it involves a lot of different things that um, large legacy organizations have not traditionally been very good at, which is personalizing experiences and really getting um, understanding customers kind of um, where they are in their journey and and offering products and services and capabilities to them kind of along those journeys. So, you know, that's everything from um, how do you acquire new customers? How do you keep them? How do you service them? Um, how do you price appropriately? How do you make them feel like you're catering to them when they call into a call center or when they have a request? Um, how do you make things seamless between, you know, potentially their digital experience and if they're having any um, physical interaction with your organization? So really all those types of things, which involves a range of technologies and capabilities and 
um, really just understanding kind of where customers are along their journeys with your organization. Excellent. So when, a, when an organization comes to you, do you have certain plans they can sign up for where you will help them with specific things or what exa- how exactly does that work? Yeah, there, there's really a whole range of things, but you know, from a very basic perspective, um, everybody right now is trying to accomplish things through kind of digital channels. And so, mm-hmm. when you talk about um, you know really being able to kind of personalize someone's experience with uh, an organization, in this case, financial services organizations, it's really about sort of knowing them and understanding them, and so being able to um, without having that kind of creepiness factor, right? That that <laughs> there's a line in there somewhere of when um, knowing your customer becomes a little bit creepy to them because you know them too well, you have too much of their information. But it's having enough of the information to be able to kind of understand what they're trying to accomplish, whether um, you know they're purchasing something or they need a loan to try to purchase something or they need credit extended or they need to facilitate a payment or they just have questions about products and services and how can you kind of tailor those experiences based on the information that you already have about those customers using, um, you know, a lot of kind of emerging, I mean, they've been out for a while, but, but really just now starting to uh, become wide, widespread usage of things like AI and cognitive and, um, you know, looking at things like next best offer. If, if I bought this, what might be the next thing that I might be interested in? Or if I've used your services in this way before, how might you better um, sort of coax me or coach me to use your services to my advantage kind of in, in the future? And how did you get involved with, with KPMG and just in the digital banking world? Give us a little bit of history about you. Yeah, so um, I've spent about the last 20 years or so in um, consulting organizations and, and really mostly KPMG. There was a, a time when uh, all the accounting firms sort of split off their consulting arms and became bearing point for a while, but that's all been sort of consolidated back now. Um, previous to that, I spent um, about five years in um, in traditional banking, working at the Federal Reserve and, and running some of the payment processes that the, uh, the Federal Reserve sort of hosts on behalf of the country. From a KPMG perspective, wow. you know, I think... Um, we've we've gotten involved you know historically i mean it's a, it's a 100 plus year old organization and very customer centric but um you know we've we've been assisting our clients with their kind of most pressing challenges for a long time i think for many years um through, especially through the downturn those challenges were more around uh risk mitigation and regulatory remediation and um cost takeout and those types of things and we've really seen a big shift over the past probably 18 months or so um, really towards the growth agenda and as a lot of the um, kind of emerging and new technologies have matured a little bit and some of the patterns of those technologies are becoming um, more and more known, there's really a lot that could be done right now kind of on the digital agenda as far as knowing your customer and knowing where they are in that journey and being able to kind of meet them where they're at so that it feels like a really highly personalized experience. And we, we talk about personalization of um, you know, kind of the ultimate nirvana is getting to a segment of one to where you can actually um, personalize offers and things like that based off of the knowledge of that single individual and not to, you know, segments of, of hundreds of thousands of people that are sort of treated the same way because possibly they're in the same income group or the same demographic or whatever the case may be. And that is such a complex and complicated issue, just that alone. <laughs> It is. It is. And I think, you know, when we look historically, um, you know, if you look at traditional segments or cohorts, as they're sometimes called, 
um, what you see is is often things are segmented down into somewhere around five to eight different groups, meaning that you know if you just look at typical demographics that those are kind of the um, you know the white lines of chalk that you would draw around particular groups to say that that this group is similar to this group. Um, you know one of the uh, examples that's used kind of analogy quite often is if you look at um, Prince Charles versus uh, Ozzy Osbourne demographically they might kind of fit into the same type of group but you certainly wouldn't serve mm-hmm. them the same and so that's where you kind of get into that personalization um, and leverage being able to leverage technologies where we think the right number of segments uh, you know to go from five to eight is is probably to go to 25 to 30 and then we think once you're there you can kind of expand exponentially once you have the information and the uh, the data flow and kind of the um, the different technologies that you can apply against that to really um, kind of exponentially segment your your different cohorts to where you can get to that kind of personalization of one. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that popped in my mind was how are you seeing these groups change? You know, are, are things becoming more segmented and more more complex, or are there just new groups forming entirely? Yeah, I don't think it's new groups forming entirely, although there's probably some of that going on just as, as um, you know, generational shifts and, and those types of things occur. But more of it is is really just the nuances in um, demographics, just because people are are the same age range and in the same uh, sort of, you know, median compensation range and do some of the same things or have similar occupations doesn't mean that they procure services or want to be served the same way. And so it's really just the sort of the exponential growth and the ability to um, ingest data and be able to apply analytical patterns to that data and different technologies to that data that can um, kind of rapidly show or expose um, different opportunities to serve to serve cohorts of people differently than have been in the past. And it's kind of this old adage of, um, you know, a lot of times we hear that organizations or financial services organizations need to understand their customers and and give them what they are expecting. And in many cases, we we actually don't believe that's accurate because, um, you know, if you just think back a handful of years, uh, the concept of the iPad or, um, you know, something like a a electronic watch that, that we now all wear are not necessarily things that we were demanding as consumers. It's really mm-hmm. just it's things that we didn't know we needed until we knew we needed it. Um, you know, imagine just 20 years or so ago, people were not carrying around cell phones everywhere they went. And it was just, you know, your home phone was kind of your primary means of communication and, and nobody really knew knew any difference. So it's more about that your uh, best, your, your sort of best experience becomes your new expectation. So it's not that consumers mm-hmm. are necessarily demanding things differently. It's just that once you've experienced something, and you associate that with convenient or good, or you know it's got some usefulness in your um, in in your life's journey, then that becomes your expectation for really all of your other experiences. One hundred percent, I think that rings true with so many things just in my personal life where I didn't know I needed something until I tried it, and I said to myself, "How did I live so long without this thing?" Um, that's exactly. got to have yeah. major risks for for new companies and with their ideas. You know, how how do they really, I guess, what is the science behind? Can you accurately predict maybe if a product will be uh, well accepted by, com- by consumers and possibly result in a positive experience? 
Yeah, and I think it's um, you know, it's probably not as as simple as just being able to predict, but it's this concept of test and learn and mm-hmm. moving towards um, really shorter cycles. Everything from planning and budgeting. You know, we used to it used to be just just a couple of years ago, and and in many companies still is where the uh, the budget cycle is an annual process that starts around June. And by the end of December, your budget's set for the next 12 months. And generally speaking, that budget rarely changes. And the challenge with that is that things are moving so fast now that a lot of organizations are moving towards, uh, it's, it's a you know overused word, but more towards agile types of environments and ecosystems where they can um, move more quickly, turn on a dime, develop products and get products into market more quickly. And part of that process is being able to leverage data and those analytic patterns where you can test things like next best offer offer to understand what, um, you know, how will a particular cohort react to a type of offer with products and services. And that's where um, Agile really helps because you can get things to market really quickly. You can do it in a test bed with a, with a maybe a small segment of your population or um, in many cases that's done with employee segments. You know, so you're not actually releasing something out to the general public and you can kind of test and learn with um, employees and then go kind of back and, and in an agile time frame, do things really quickly to make feature functionality changes or different changes to the experience to where you at least know when you roll something out that it's, it's kind of um, tested and tried through real customers, even if they're your own employees. Absolutely. That's one of your safer bets for sure. And the importance of getting something to a market quickly and seeing how it does. Um, on previous podcasts, someone mentioned they want products to fail quickly. You want, and that means that if they're going to fail, you want to fail very quickly. So you stop investing money in it, you stop investing time, and you can move on to something that potentially will be a better investment. Exactly. Yeah, and we, you know, in financial services at least, we have to be a little bit careful with the word fail because there's yes. <laughs> um, obviously there's negative connotations associated with that. So what does that mean? Um, you know, if it's failed just from the perspective of that, it's not popular. Um, that's one thing, but obviously if, if it fails uh, from the perspective that it's deceptive to people or something like that, then you've got, you know, regulatory matters on your, on your hands. So um, that's another reason why sometimes it's really important to use, um, you know, kind of trusted groups to test things and test and learn um, and very quickly make modifications to uh, to those products or services as those results come in from the customers and customer testing is also something that you know we're seeing go in a much more agile fashion where um, you know there's a lot of different places where you can test your products and services on willing customers who are just always looking for you know kind of the newest latest and greatest thing and are willing to um, try beta forms of that and provide feedback to you know to be kind of the first movers on on those types of things. I am the exact opposite. I am such a late adapter. Adopter. I uh, <laughs> I want to be like the third generation of something before I'm I'm trying it out. I'm like I just want it to work. <laughs> right. You want you want everything to be polished and uh, working properly when you get it, and that's understandable. I think a lot of people are like that, um, but there's also people who just want you know to see and touch and feel things first, and kind of be the first ones to hold a new gadget or to see a new product or service, and. You know, th- those are again; those are just different aspects of um, of different cohorts or segments of of the population. What is uh, something, or or what are you really excited about for the future of of these digital bankings and, and digital industries? What what really gets you excited about new projects? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of the confluence of a number of factors. I mean, when you think about some of the opportunities that um, some of the new technologies, when you you know think about AI and cognitive and the ability to apply those to data patterns that have uh, existed for a number of years and to try to imagine how people might procure services differently. And, and sometimes it's really hard to just think about the art of the possible, right? So um, the way that we do things today is, is generally that's our universe and that's what we know. Um, but to just completely think, think up different ways to do things is, is what's really exciting about technologies like AI and cognitive. And maybe there's uh, a completely different paradigm where as we're sort of moving through the ecosystem as consumers, that things are happening in many cases behind the scenes based off of a set of predetermined criteria or just a data pattern that we've established as we you know, move through kind of commerce, let's say, that a lot of our financial services transactions are just embedded into commerce. And so as we're going through, um, you know, say we're uh, doing some, some um, home improvement shopping on the weekend and walking through, uh, you know, kind of the aisles of a home improvement store and AI and cognitive patterns kind of recognize different things that we may need for different projects that we're working on. And, you know, we can kind of um, get reminders and, and things like that. And then our, our financial services are kind of embedded into that whether we would normally take out a line of credit for something or a payment, we would make a payment for something that a lot of that does not have to be a point of sale type transaction, but you know, we're actually just able to kind of walk out of the store and that's a, that's a physical store, right? So now you kind of take that and you apply that more towards a virtual um, type of scenario where you've got items that are kind of showing up at your house when you think of the future of, of uh, grocery. And, you know, it's been 20 years really since, um, contemplated kind of the uh, the home order type thing, which I think still hasn't been perfected yet. But when you think about the concept of, of um, AI and cognitive just being embedded in everything that you do, it's it's a little bit scary, I think, but but some of the, um, the efficiency and the effectiveness that can come from that is pretty amazing. Absolutely. And then the reverse of that, you know, what are some of the challenges that you see persisting and the solutions that are currently being worked on? or that you might have insight into? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you just think about demographic changes, um, they happen relatively slowly, right? They happen over Mm -hmm. a period of of years and sometimes decades. And so um, we used to talk quite a bit, if I think back 15 years ago, to the demise of the check. And, you know, certainly there are um, generations of people who, who are alive today who probably have never written a check. But when you look at the volume of people still writing checks, it's pretty astonishing how many people are still writing checks. And Mm -hmm. some of those estimates are that, you know, that will continue for another 20 or 30 years as long as the people who kind of grew up in that ecosystem are are still around and and still, um, you know, shopping and that sort of thing. So I say that just to say that a lot of the technology that's out there is great and it's going to be interesting and it's going to provide some new opportunities to a lot of people who are sort of willing to go through the process to let do its thing and to use it. But there's always going to be segments and uh, and cohorts out there that just want to do things the old way. And, you know, so how do you, what, what becomes really complicated is how do you satisfy all of those different segments of customers? And does it become um, 
exorbitantly expensive to maintain you know, different processes that you're sort of selling into or servicing into different segments of customers. And that's where we're working with our clients to um, you know, do as much behind the scenes automation and straight through processing, um, leveraging things like RPA, robotics, and those types of things, and applying AI and cognitive where it makes sense to enhance those experiences, but at least automating it where it doesn't make sense to enhance it through um, the ability to help make decisions through AI and cognitive. And, you know, if people want to make decisions on their own, at least when it touches your organization, it can be kind of straight through processed or automated through. Um, so there's a number of ways to kind of ease the pain of serving multiple constituents who want things done in multiple different ways, which which can, of course, be really, really expensive to do that. So absolutely. And and hopefully with, with the rise of, you know, machine learning and, and ways of automating this, then potentially could be less expensive if we can take out, think, make it all happen faster. <laughs> sure. Well, and then the other thing is up-tiering the jobs, right? So, you know, obviously it's a much different job to have somebody handling uh, paper forms than it is to have somebody who's responsible for um, a bot farm and, you know, making sure that the algorithms that are uh, sort of permeating through that bot farm are coded correctly and are working properly. And those are very different skill sets. And so when you think about what does that mean to um, society as a whole and, you know, even the degrees that people get and the training that people have and how do you retrain people and those types of things. I mean, I don't think it's all about displacement of um, human resources. I mean, it's it's about retooling of human resources. It's just different types of jobs. Absolutely. And that's, that is the future that we're moving towards is, is just different, different jobs. And people don't like change as much as they should. And I think that's where a lot of the rub comes with that. But in, in essence, we will be working in tandem with these technologies, not necessarily just Absolutely. being put out and, of business. And who's to say, yeah, I mean, who's to say a four-year, uh, you know, bachelor degree is, is uh, necessarily the, the right way to do that, right? Maybe there's two-year mm-hmm. technical degrees where um, you can specialize in, in, you know, bot algorithms and those types of things. So it's really kind of the ripple effect through the economy and society as a whole is pretty astounding when you think about, um, you know, some of the, the back end of um, what's required to, to really change in that direction. So it's not, I, I don't think we see it as being a um, a revolution as much as it's an evolution. It's just, it seems to have hit a pivot point over the past 18 months or so where it's, it's just fast and furious going a lot faster and uh, more rapid than we saw it kind of previous to the last 18 months or so. I love how you put that, that it's an evolution instead of a revolution, because revolution can have both positive and negative connotations associated with it. And when you say it's just a natural progression or evolution, it really feels more accepted and easier to think about in in a way. So I really like how you put that. Sure. Well, and there's a lot of implications on, um, to your point, on evolution versus revolution, right? So, mm-hmm. it, you know, just as far as um, how fast things happen and, and uh, the ecosystem around those things and how quickly things need to change. I mean, we definitely see, you know, look, the, the um, average number of years that a company sits on the S&P 500 has shrunk greatly over the past 50 years or so. So um, it's a lot it's a lot easier to company right now. It's a lot harder to keep it. So there's there's quite a bit more disruption in the market. And so we do think there will be. Um, a great number of winners and losers as, uh, you know, as kind of we move forward through that evolution, but it's in kind of um, spurts and starts. You know, we see something that, that takes a hold and it, happens, it seemingly happens very rapidly, but if you look at it kind of over the course of time, it's it's actually um, a, little, a little more linear than probably it looks at any one point in time. 
absolutely. Um, where, well, Mitch Siegel, it has been so interesting to have you on this podcast and just get a little bit of an inner workings of the of the industry and, and your insight has been truly insightful. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate it, Juliet. And thanks for your time as well. Absolutely. That was Mitch Siegel. He is the strategy lead for financial services at KPMG LLP. This has been Juliet Lamar of Future Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.